Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Well, let's jump right in. So a couple of things as we get started this morning. No, it is not a mistake. Yes, you do have a six-page handout today. So um, the thing to remember is this is a two-week lesson. So this is kind of all the info that you need for the two-week period. So breathe, breathe, breathe. It'll be all right. So we're going to go through the same process that we've gone through um, the last several weeks as we go through Romans. Uh, and before we kind of read today's text, I just want to talk about, once again, a reminder of uh, how I want our Bible study to be moving from a primary focus on tools uh, to a primary focus on asking the Holy Spirit for help, reading and soaking on the Bible, talking to church members, and then going through and then looking at tools and not starting with things that uh, can predispose us to a certain opinion or perspective. So. I want to make sure the Holy Spirit has that place in our lives. So let's go ahead and get started with uh, Romans chapter 1. We'll read Romans 1 and all of 2 today. We're in Romans 2, 12 through 29 for our primary text. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the ESV, there's two copies on your table. So there's a paper copy that says uh, Romans English Standard Version at the top, and then an entire Bible as well. So if you want to grab one of those, if you don't have your own copy of the ESV. And if you want to keep that paper copy, feel free to do so, Uh, but please leave the the entire Bible back, because we'll use those each week. So let's get started with Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God, for a lie, and worshipped and served the, crea- the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for the error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they... Know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus." But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you are yourself a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For you, as it is written, the shame of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right, so I'll say it once again. If you are not in the habit of reading extended passages of Scripture, please get in the habit. It is good for you. It is good for me. It is good for us to collectively do this together. So today's class, I want to talk through what we're going to do today and what we're not going to do today. Typically what we do is we read the text. We try to answer the question, what does it say? Very plainly, what do the words say? We explain the text. What does it mean? We do this by answering a lot of questions. We then apply the text. We ask the question, so what? So what about, what does it mean? What are the underlying timeless principles? And then we personalize the text and we say, now what do we do with that? Because of the length of today's text, 2, 12 through 29, we do not have time to do all of this today. So we're going to do all of one. We just did that. We're going to do part of two. I'm going to give you some homework. We're going to come back next week, finish up two, and then do three and four. And then also at the end of today's class, we'll do table prayer time. Now, how many of you have been to Growth Track 2? Been to Growth Track 2? Yes, good. This will be a review for you then. So this is how to get a grasp on my Bible. There's a section, uh, I think there's a second section in Growth Track 2. It talks about hearing the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word for the purpose of applying the Word. So they answer the question, what did it mean to the original hearers? This is the what. What's the underlying timeless principle? The so what. And how could we practice that principle? The now what do I do with that? So the first person I ever heard ask the question, What did it mean? This was my pastor going up. This was his job to explain the text. The first person I ever said, so what? I'd I'd never heard anybody say, so what, about the Bible, because it felt a little bit irreverent, was Rick Warren. Uh, And he was going for, what is the point here? And then the next person I ever heard say, now what do I do with that, was Andy Stanley. And he has helped me immensely, uh, and I need to fix this. I'll make a note of that. Dave, where did Dave go? Can you help me make a note to fix this in the PowerPoint? We, okay. Uh, how could we practice that principle? Because the personalization for Romans is we, not me. So as we go through today, I'm going to leave this screen up for a little bit. Um, I want you to be thinking about what did it mean? What's the pr- timeless principle? And how could I practice that? Because those are the questions that we're going to be talking about next week as we look at the text. So if you've got your handout, we should be on the bottom of page one of your handout, which is numbered page... 13. So page 13, the bottom of page 13, there's a question there. So what's the question? Literal structural observations. So does anybody remember what last week we talked about? Last week we talked about the they versus the you. Yes. So in chapter one, you hear they do this, they do this, they do this. And in chapter two, Paul switches pronouns and he says, you do this. Now, did anybody pick up in the text that I read today, why we think he's talking to Jews in chapter two? Because he says, you Jews in verse 17, right? It's like, oh, okay. Now, now when we switch pronouns, we typically like, 
we would say that a quote-unquote good writer would tell you exactly who he's talking about the second he switches pronouns. Paul waits because he just assumes his readers are smart enough to pick up on this. And I'm thankful for verse 17 because I wasn't smart enough to pick up on it, that he clarified it and said we are actually talking to Jews in chapter 2. So we teed that up as an idea last week, and we see that, yes, he actually is doing this in verse 17. So we continue this structural uh, pattern of a diatribe here where he's, he's picking out a person or a, a, a specific race of people and talking specifically to them. So let's go to page 14 on your handout. <clears throat> it's a beautiful sound. <laughs> this is my evil genius laughing. <laughs> if only I were a genius. <laughs> All right, so it's page 103 for me. So we're going to have a long set of notes in this series for those of you that are interested in learning a little bit more. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to walk through the words. So it should be verses uh, or, uh, pages 14 and pages 15 and pages 16 on your handout. Now, the interesting thing is that each page is a paragraph of the English text. So you've got one kind of complete thought on page 14, one complete thought on page 15, one complete thought on page 16. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you all the words and all the information and all the data. I'm going to talk extraordinarily briefly about some repeated things. And then I'm going to give you the assignment for next week to come back with... What's the point? What are the observations? What's the personalizations that we can have for us? So we're going I'm, to... I'm, you will notice what I am doing as we go through Romans. So here's the process. Here's the tools. Here's the explanation of the tools. I'm going to demonstrate the tools. I'm going to show you how to use the tools. I'm going to physically put the tools in your hands. I'm going to walk us through how we use the tools together. And by the end of Romans, I think you'll enjoy where we'll have been. So... Try to be as transparent about this as I can. Here we go. Verse 12. For all who have sinned. What's the next four words there? Second heiress active indicative. And everybody went, ooh, yeah. Probably not, right? All right. Go to page 17 in your handout. Next to last page. So I use a lot of different tools to help me understand what in the world is going on with the Greek language. Uh, they are, uh, some of them are extraordinarily complicated tools. Some of them are very basic tools. I love the really basic stuff because I generally have a chance of understanding it. Uh, but I've never found a piece of paper that had this information on it all in one piece of paper that was digestible. Um, I have found books that go into gobs of detail about this. But I just want to spend about two minutes on basics of Greek verbs. Greek verbs have a lot of information packed into them, and they have five different uh, parts or types of information in them. So there's a person. Almost always you can pick up on this in English, kind of what's happening if you're understanding the text. Uh, There's a number. Is this a singular verb? Is this a plural verb? This makes sense. We have singular and plural verbs in English. This translates very well. Then you get into tenses. Uh, Tenses... We're familiar with some of the words here, but they don't mean the exact same thing in English as they do in Greek. So you have the present tense, which is right now happening, and it's continuously happening. Um, in my, my, so I have little hand motions for most of these. So this is my present tense, right now, continuous. Julie walks in the, the um, living room sometimes, and I'm studying, and I'm doing my hand motions. She's like, oh, yeah, he's doing his verbs. So that's, just, <laughs> that's the way this works. 
Um, she stopped laughing like four years ago, so it was nice. There's a lot of laughing for a long time. Uh, aorist is a tense, that's how you say this word, aorist, um, is a tense that we don't have in English, and it's, it's different. It's just fundamentally different than anything that we experience in English. So this is occurrence without the regard for amount of time it taken to accomplish the action. So it, it happened. It may be a past tense. It may be a present tense. Every once in a blue moon, it's a future tense. Uh, but it's just about the thing happened. We're not really overly concerned about when it happened. Uh, imperfect is action continually, repeatedly happening in the past time. So this is stuff that it was in the past, uh, continually, repeatedly happened. Perfect tense is completed action in the past and the results are continuing. So gobs of stuff that Jesus does for us is in the perfect tense. He did something, he accomplished our salvation for us, and it continues forward for us. And it is good and it is very helpful. And if you understand verbs incorrectly, you could look at something that Jesus did in the past and say that was once completed and done and it's no longer in effect. And you can end up with really bad theology. So the verb tenses really help us understand where things are happening. Future tense is anticipated action. And then plouffe perfect almost never happens. Um, and it's really complicated. So we'll leave it alone. Um, uh, then, and plouffe perfect is just a goofy word, right? I mean, it sounds like we're talking about uh, goofy to me. But uh, all right, the voice. This, this is about who performs the verb. So the active voice, the subject performs the action. The passive voice, the subject is the recipient of the action. The middle voice, the subject acts in his own interest or performs the action on himself for his own benefit. So you can, with a voice, determine who is being acted upon or who is doing the acting. Uh, and then the mood, this is the relationship to reality. Now, this is the reality from the perspective of the writer. This is not the reality with respect to the truth. This is the reality from the perspective of the writer. So let me give you an example. So I believe Mitch to be an honorable man. Okay? So my mood about Mitch is I believe he is an honorable man right now. Now, whether he is or not has... No part of determining which one of those it is. It's my perspective on this. Now, here's the brilliant thing about New Testament writing. Who inspired the writers? The Holy Spirit. So the writer's perspective on things is what? It's right. Yes, this is very, very good. And this is also one of the things that is incredibly frustrating to read. First, second, third century Greek writings that are not... Uh, biblically that are not Holy Spirit inspired because you're not really sure if it's true or not and these moods don't help you very much. It's just kind of, well, the writer thought that was true, but I don't know for sure that it is true. So, so the imp- indicative is a statement of fact. So this is what I just said. The imperative is, uh, Mitch, I need you to stand. Stand. There we go. Great. Um, subjunctive is, Mitch, I thought you could stand. Right? The optative is, I really honestly believed you could do it. Like, I, I, I knew you could do it. This is awesome, right? So there's much stronger degree of possibility. Uh, Mitch is now standing, so that's a participle. And uh, I knew that, I'm sorry, how I could say the two stand. Um, somebody help me. How did I say two stand? I'm blanking on an example with Mitch standing here. I thought that Mitch, no. Mitch was able to stand. There we go. Excellent. Good. Thank you very much. 
You see my math skills on display here, right? Good. <laughs> all right, so I took several different resources and kind of mashed them all up together, a couple things from ntgreek.org, and then a bunch of stuff from Strong's Concordance and came up with that. I shot this to Brian last night. I said, hey, can you give this a once-over and make sure I'm not teaching heresy because this is really helpful. I'd make sure that we're, we're good. He said, yeah, it looks pretty good to me. I'll run it by Dr. Black. And I was like, sure, great, who's that? He's the chair of the New Testament Greek department at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So, <laughs> so thanks, that's great. So, so this will look different next week, <laughs> okay? I, what I'd love to do is I'd love to get the actual version that he marks. It's just going to bleed on this, right? Because this is, this is, I really honestly, and you're not going to, some of you are going to believe me, some of you are not. I really want you to believe me as a sixth grader would look at language and putting a piece of paper together. This is, this is my honest understanding of this stuff. It is very, very low level. So when we come back next week and it looks a little bit different, that's why. Because we had an editor, which is amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that, that Brian getting his PhD, which he is, it's not PhD, he's getting his um, D-men, yes, his D-men. Um, see Dave Barber if you need an explanation for all these things. It basically means you've worked really hard and you're really smart, so that's what this is about. All right, back to page um, 16, nope, 14 in your notes, excellent. Thank you, Miss Colleen. She helps me out so much in Sunday school, she's awesome, so... <laughs> All right, so all who have sinned. So we see second aorist active indicative. So what would you do with that? Well, you go look up what aorist means. You go look up what active means. You look up what indicative means. You mash all that together, and that's what that verb is all about. I'm not going through any of that this morning. I'm just going to show you here's the resource, okay? This is your homework to come back with this. So what does the word sinned mean? It means to miss the mark. And you don't get to share in the prize. A lot of times we describe sin as you just missed the mark. Well, the reality is you missed the mark, and because you missed the mark, you don't get a medal. There's not a result. There's not a prize for you for this. So there's a, it's not just messing up. It's messing up with some implication. There's a problem at the, at the end of it. So all who have sinned without the law or lawlessly will also perish or be destroyed or perish or lose or die without the law. The same word used earlier in 2.12. Now, I'm going to ask you at the end of this little exercise where I go through and read these three pages, which words were repeated? And I'll give you a tip. Anywhere you see used earlier in Romans, that means it was repeated. This is not rocket science, okay? This is not meant to be troubling or difficult. I'm going to tell you where the words are repeated. And all who have sinned. So again, this is miss the mark and not share in the what? In the prize. There's your blank. Under the what? The law, the nomos. This is an important word. This is the law of Moses. This is what Paul would have been talking about. And when he says the law, he's talking about those commands that God gave Moses and that encompass how the Israelites were to live. This word is going to be repeated. You're not going to believe me when I tell you the number. In this passage, 19 times. Like 17 is my made-up number. When I say something happens a lot, I have about 17 times. If I ever say something happened 17 times, it did not happen 17 times. That is hyperbole for a whole lot, and I didn't care to count. I actually I had word count for me here, and 19 times is this shows up in the passage. So if you had to guess a possible theme of this passage, 
law, right? We need to fully understand how the law relates to what Paul is discussing here. This is really important. All right, so under the law, we'll be judged. Crino, remember this from last week? This was in three times in Romans 2.1 and then again in Romans uh, uh, 2.3. So this is the, to distinguish or decide or condemn or punish. It's got a broad range of meanings, but it's all about this legal system. So they'll be judged by the law, by the nomos, for it is not the hearers or the listeners of the nomos who are righteous or equitable or innocent before God, but the doers or the performers, there's your blank, the performers And this word was used of poets that would stand and they would recite poetry. So if you're going to recite poetry, do you need to get it right? I'm going to say you probably need to get it right. I'm going to say you probably need to have a good performance. It's not mediocre is not going to be okay. If you're a lousy orator and you're a poet, you're going to be hungry. So you need to be a good performer. So with that mindset, but the doers, the good performers of the law who will be justified. So let me ask you a question. Who is, uh, see, I I so bad want to get into uh, application and personalization. I just, I want to jump in. But do you see what I did before we did that? Let me ask you a question. Ask questions of the text. Keep asking questions of the text and you'll get to that place. And I'm not going to ask that question. We're going to do that next week. The doers of the law who will be justified, the future middle indicative. So future tense, they will be justified in the future. Verse 14, for when the Gentiles, so these are the non-Jews, who do not have, so they're not holding on to the law by nature. Now this is a word that was used last week in Romans 1.26 when we were talking about all sorts of sinful things. This is natural production. This is the way God designed things to work in family relationships, right? And heads up, if you're a parent, uh, next week we are going to be talking a lot more detail about this last paragraph, um, so just be aware of that. So, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature or by natural production do what the nomos requires, they are a what? A law to themselves. So if you're not familiar with the law and you are living according to it, you are a law to yourself. So I heard the the question that comes up oftentimes when we talk about who is righteous and who is unrighteous and who is innocent and who is guilty is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about the guy, the innocent guy on the island that's never heard the gospel, right? What about the innocent guy on the island? And the reality is, if there was an innocent guy on an island, he would be judged innocently. Because if he was truly innocent, he'd be innocent. But has anything that Paul has written in the first two chapters of Romans implied to you that anybody is innocent? No. We're guilty. And, and what he's saying here is if, if you've got the law, you're guilty under the law. And if you don't have the law, you're a law to yourself. And you're guilty under the law. So either way, you have died of dysentery. <laughs> You like that? Bam! Oregon Trail all the way. Just like that. If you don't know what Oregon Trail is, you are too young to be in my Sunday school class. So. Uh. All right. Away we go. Let's go back in. <laughs> so Julie just left me this morning to go to Mobile to be with her mama. Her mama's having surgery tomorrow. So she's gone for a few days. So I am completely on my own with the children. So one, pray for Julie. Two, pray for the children. <laughs> and just pray I don't get fired. So, um, All right, so verse 15. So they show that the work or the act of the nomos is written or inscribed on their hearts. 
inscribed on their thoughts, on their feelings, on their mind, on their emotional center, while their conscience, while their moral consciousness also bears witness. Now, Paul goes crazy with legal terms right here, so get ready. This bears witness is to corroborate by evidence. To corroborate by evidence. So, so here's more evidence. 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 To the point where the judge is going to go what? Guilty. Guilty. That's right. Is guilty. When you finish reading Romans 1 and 2, you are looking for help. You are looking for somebody to save you from this judgment. And you know what Paul does not too soon after Romans 2? Start talking about the gospel. Starts talking about Jesus. Starts talking about here is the Savior from this judgment, from this guilt, from this wrath. So this, uh, this conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts or their imaginations accuse. The word, another word here is object or to be a plaintiff or to charge with some offense. So they are, they are objecting. They are charging themselves with offense or even excuse to give a legal plea of oneself. To make a defense is your blank there. So we've got prize, Moses, 19, performers, natural, evidence, object, defense. If you missed a blank on that page. A lot of blanks today. A lot of good stuff today. Make a defense for them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges. Again, Crino, used back again, Romans 2, 1, 3, and 12. The secrets, the, conv- the concealed, private, hidden things of men by Christ Jesus. That's the same phrase that he uses in Romans 1, 1 when he introduces himself and who he is. So next page, next paragraph, next thought. But if you call yourself a Jew... so. It, Is anybody confused about who he's talking to here? (laughs) He has made this crystal clear. If you call yourself a Jew and rely or to settle or remain or rest in the law because the Jews saw that they were better because they had the law and the law was given to them. I'm doing it again. And boast or vaunt in in this God and know or understand that he will, that his will and approve and know his will and approve what is excellent. Now, do I have a note here in your notes? I think I have a note here in your notes. I think I left it in. Yes. Look at the definition of this word. This, this word can be used to a lot of things. Born through, transported, reported, bettered, excellent, published, or of more value. That's, some, that's a broad set of definitions. So I have a note, JF note. I am confused on the proper application of the definition of this word. So when I am confused about the definition of a word, I have two or three resources that I go to. One of them is A.T. Robertson's pictures in the New Testament. Uh, He taught at uh, one of the Southern Baptist seminaries for, I think, 47 years. He finished a lecture one day. He's like, I've got a headache. I'm going to go home. He went home. He took a nap and he died. I was like, bam, that was awesome. (laughs) He just went out on a high note, teaching the Bible, went home and died. I was like, that's pretty cool. So, not that I'm saying I want to go home and die this afternoon, but I mean, that give me 47 years of faithfulness, sign me up. I'm good for that. It was fantastic. So, his quote in this text was, we're not really sure what Paul means here. And I thought, well, cool. If A.T. Robertson's confused, I don't feel bad either. So, I'm okay with that. So, if, if you can come up with some fitting of how this works... I would love to hear it next week. So, verse 18, And know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed. The Greek word here is katekeo. And for those of you that did not grow up in a Baptist church, anybody grew up in a uh, Lutheran or Roman Catholic, um, 
possibly even, uh, what does catecheo look like? Catechism, yes, that's your, that's your blank actually, catechized. And all you Baptists, you don't know how to spell this, so here you go. C-A-T-E-C-H-I-Z-E-D. California Technology I-Z-E-D. There you go. This means to be instructed or to taught. Uh, the catechism is a series of questions and answers. So, what is the nature of man? What is the nature of God? What is salvation? What is God's relationship to man? What is man's relationship to God? And there's rote responses for each one of these that you teach children from a very young age so that they have a proper framework of the basics of theology. We don't typically do this in Baptist uh, circles because... For one, Baptists wouldn't agree on a catechism that we could share amongst each other. There'd be 6,000 different versions of it, so that's one challenge. Uh, but we do something like this with Awana with verses of the Bible. So as opposed to asking a question about theology in general, we teach the children the scriptures directly. And then we take that basis of knowledge and we build up on the educational uh, pedagogy and we say, all right, this is how you put this together and how you put this together and how you put this together and how you put this together. Is one better than the other? I don't know. I like teaching them Bible, but I also want them to know good doctrine. Don't leave either side out would be a good idea, right? Which I, I love the way that we in, in, indoctrinate the kids on this. So it's good. So catechized. You're catechized from the law, and if you are sure, if you are convinced, if you have confidence in that you yourself are a guide or a conductor or a teacher, here's your, uh, the, the word is guide in your blank there, um, a guide to the blind. So do the blind people ever need a guide? Yes, that's right. So who are the blind that we're talking about? No, I started to ask a question there, and I'm not going to do it. The, another word for this blind is opaque or smoky. So we're in this haze, right? Did you ever, after you've become a Christian, those of you, especially that were pagans as adults, did you ever look back on your adult paganhood and go, man, I was just living in a fog. Like I could not see the reality. This is like a very visual picture of what Paul is describing here. You yourself are a guide to the blind, a light. Another word for this is a fire. Because they didn't have flashlights. If you wanted a light at night when it was smoky or dark, what'd you do? You burn something, right? <laughs> you have to have a fire. This is basic. To those who are in darkness, one of my favorite words in the whole English language, shadiness. <laughs> that was for my sister. I'll, have, I'll make sure that she listens to this podcast. So. We have a long-running joke about the word shadiness. So this obscurity or darkness. An instructor of the foolish. Another word here is stupid. So if your mom or your dad ever tell you that you shouldn't call somebody stupid, well, Paul kind of did. But the Holy Spirit told him to, and the Holy Spirit probably didn't tell you to, so. <laughs> so you probably shouldn't, okay? That's all I'm saying about that. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you an out, and I'm going to slam the door shut. There we go. All right, so those of you that are stupid, um, a teacher, an instructor, a doctor, a master, this is a higher level than this guide that was just talked about, of children. So these are the infants, the simple-minded, the immature Christians. We never met an immature Christian, have you? Like, no. <laughs> like, born completely mature. Day one, I asked Jesus in my heart, and I am good to go. Not quite. Might not be good to go from that. So, all right, so immature Christians having, holding the law, the nomos, the embodiment or the formula of knowledge. Another word for knowledge there is science. So, science and truth. So, these are the 
Like you've got the information, you know the stuff. Then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach? Now, this is a different word than teach. Teach is uh, didaskos. Preach is the word for um, heralding. So the, your blank there is herald, H-E-R-A-L-D. We don't have any heralds in the room today, do we? That's spelled with an A, but it's kind of close. Herald means to proclaim, to exalt, to announce, to declare. Uh, teaching is more of a making plain. Uh, heralding preaching is more of a I am exalting the one who provided the truth and celebrating uh, Christ. It is a, a different thing entirely. So while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You can say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You abhor who are hate or detest or abominate idols. This is the worship of heathen gods. Do you rob temples? Are you, are you involved in sacrilege? You who boast or vaunt? It's the same word used in verse 17 in the law. If you boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking or transgressing the law. For it is written, and think about how sad this is, the name of God is blasphemed. Your blank there is spoken evil against among the Gentiles because of you. So you are rejoicing in the fact that you have the law, and the reality is the Gentiles are blaspheming God because of you. That is bad. That is bad. All right, we're going to blaze through page uh, 105 in my notes. It's page 16 in yours. Thank you so much. It's like very helpful this morning. I appreciate you. Verse 25, for circumcision, this is the right of circumcision. We'll talk about this more uh, next week. Indeed is of value. It is beneficial if you obey. This is performed repeatedly or habitually. This is not just a, oh yeah, I did this once. No, no, (laughs) you have a lifestyle of this. This is how you are described. If you habitually obey the law, but if you break, if you violate the law, your circumcision, that exercise that you went through becomes uncircumcision. And you don't have to ask too many questions about verse 25 to realize that's weird. Verse 26, so, so we're connecting something before. If a man who is uncircumcised keeps or watches or guards or obeys the precepts or the judgments of the the nomos, the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded or inventoried is your blank. So we're taking an inventory. We're going to count this for this. So we're inventorying uncircumcision as circumcision. Now, if you're a Jew and you just got somebody tell you that the practice of circumcision a Gentile who is uncircumcised is going to get credit for what you went through, you have just been made very angry. So we are, we are getting, uh, he, he's being very blunt here with his audience. So be regarded as circumcision. Verse 27, then he who is physically, this is a natural production, same word earlier in Romans 2.14, uncircumcised but keeps the nomos will condemn, again this Crino word, they will condemn the law, will, will condemn you who have written the code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. See that first word shiningly there? If you can shine a light on it, that, this is the word that can be seen. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. It's not about flesh, but a Jew is one inwardly. It's secretly. And circumcision is a matter of the what? The heart. So he is, he, is take, he is doing something that Jesus did a lot of in the New Testament, which was saying there was a shadow of something in the Old Testament, and I taught you, and I taught you, and I taught you, and I am literally fleshing this out in the New Testament and saying that it is actually about something else. It is actually a matter of the heart. 
So, verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, by the breath. This is the Lord, not by, this is the Holy Spirit, by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, your homework, if you choose to accept it. Flip over to page 18, the very last page, is to answer those questions. I finally got a page number right. That's awesome. to answer those questions. So you have what the words mean. You have helps on the Greek. You have commentaries. For those of you that go, well, I didn't get a commentary. Yeah, you did. Look at the bottom of that page on page 18. You'll see a link that says um, the tools, the very bottom left-hand link, bit.ly slash Romans 2017. There's about 15 online commentaries there. So go have, a, have fun with that. But remember, remember, ask the Holy Spirit first. Soak on the Bible. Look at the words, ask for help, soak on the Bible, look at the words, ask for help, soak on the word. This is, we spend a lot more time doing that than we do actually looking up what a commentary means or somebody else's perspective. So are there repeated words, are there repeated topics, what are some observations of the text, what's the point, what do we do with that? And the we there is incredibly important. So that is the first half of this Sunday school lesson. I'm excited to find out what y'all are going to teach me next week. If you think I'm coming in with 900 things, I'm not. Y'all are teaching the lesson next week. This will be good. So no pressure, but you're on. Cool. So at the middle of your table is a piece of paper that says weekly update. Make sure your name is at the bottom of that weekly update. Make sure you have shared any prayer requests that you have. Y'all think I'm joking about this next week. I'm not joking about this next week. (laughs) I've done two weeks worth of studying already for this lesson. We're good. Make sure your name is down there. Make sure you've shared any prayer requests. Pray as a group, and then you are dismissed. Thank you so much for coming to Sunday School today, guys.